20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. But there are far more people, more important people on this episode. Of course, the one and only pro football focus, Sam Monson. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF Sam. You can find his work at profootballfocus.com. Sam, I'm so incredibly excited to be chatting with you about Packers football and, of course, all their upcoming opponents this upcoming year. How was your uh, overall week one experience? Yeah, it was good. Obviously, um, you know, relief. We made it. We made it through the offseason. We got to week one. We get new information. We get new uh, football evidence so we don't have to start talking about the same things that we've been talking about all the way through the offseason we get new right. things to talk about right? so that's always good no i totally agree there certainly was a lot to take away from week one from key injuries to huge upsets to some of the best quarterbacks in the league all losing in week one which was kind of surprising but um i wanted to start off with one of those key injuries you had a great article out there on pro football focus about Aaron Rodgers and discussing his injury. Um, obviously you know, everyone can go check it out over at profootballfocus.com. but um, what was kind of your overall takeaway from the Aaron Rodgers injury and what it means for the league? I mean, obviously I, I think this was a sad uh, ending, whether or not it's the end of his career, just an ending to this whole story. Um, I understand, you know, there, are, there will be some Packers fans that don't care or, you know, have no investment in him once he's left or, or once the, the situation in green Bay deteriorated, he moved on. But for jets fans, obviously are miserable, but even for the rest of us, for the neutral, right? It was one of the most compelling stories in the NFL this season. How would Aaron Rodgers, a, an all time great quarterback do in New York, you know, a different environment. Would he be able to drag the jets back to that kind of super bowl um, level really put put them in the contender status with the best teams in the AFC. You know, how would it all work? And, and obviously hard knocks only fed into that. And then it was just such a deflating feeling that it lasted, you know, four snaps. And then that's it. The end. Achilles gone. So I think that was just the overwhelming sentiment. And it was, you know, you could see it, anyone watching that game, that the buzz around the stadium, 9-11, like the whole atmosphere was incredible. And then four snaps in the stadium is silent. It's just all the energy had just drained out of the building. And I, I think, you know, that was my, my kind of immediate reaction was just a, a feeling of sadness that it ended that way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, I did an episode right after it happened, you know, here on the show. And one of the things I mentioned is like, even the most cynical person, that's just like, screw Aaron Rodgers. I'm so done with him or whatever. Don't you want to tune in to see him lose in that case? Like, don't you still want to like tune in? Because like having a villain on a show is still just as like, you know, uh, compelling and like wanting to tune in for. And like, obviously that's not my prerogative on it. I wanted to go out and see just how he could play. Obviously from a Packers standpoint, him playing 65% of the snaps, got Green Bay right. additional draft capital. Um, in addition, like, I also think there's value in just seeing like, all right, they've got Aaron Rodgers, they've got Billy Turner, they've got Alan Lazard, they've got Randall Cobb, like, and they've got certainly some other pieces as well, Garrett Wilson being one of them. But like, if he goes up and tears it up in New York, that is like part of an evaluation for you as Green Bay of like, all right, why did that happen in New York this year? And it didn't happen in Green Bay last year. What can we learn from that? If he goes out and he's terrible in New York, right, like then that tells us something too. So like, obviously the biggest thing is Aaron, his injury and like what it means for him, what it means for the Jets, what it means for NFL fans. But even for the like Packer fan, that's like completely, I don't care about it anymore. There's still stuff that we didn't get to learn from it that I think is disappointing. 
No, definitely. I mean, it's it's not better for anybody, really. Like it's it's you know he's one of the greatest players of all time. There were there was entertainment value attached to it. There was things to be learned from it. It it was a better thing for everybody, other than the other AFC East. Teams, exactly. If Aaron Rodgers was playing the whole season in New York, and, and none of us get that anymore. Yeah, all the all the amazingly cool matches. We are finally gonna get Patrick Mahomes versus Aaron Rodgers. That's now Patrick Mahomes versus Zach Wilson. This week, Cowboys, uh, you know, Mike McCarthy versus Aaron Rodgers. It should have been. Instead, it's what Cowboys Jets. Here, Cowboys right. Zach Wilson, obviously. So just disappointed all the way around. I'm with you. I think sadness is a great way to put it. Um, I, I kind of wanted to obviously just go over and jump into next the the Packers game against the Chicago Bears. A lot of uh, interesting film analysis out there. Um, but what was your sort of overarching takeaway from this game where the Bears were expected to win going in? Slight favorites, but expected to win going in. And then the Packers kind of won going away at the end. Yeah. And I have to say, it, it's it's really easy. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? But when we were doing our um, division previews on, on the PFF NFL podcast, we obviously talked about the Lions as the favorite. We meant Steve was quite high on the Vikings. We were, I was talking up the idea that Green Bay might be better than people are giving them credit for this year. And then neither of us really gave the Bears any credit or any um, potential to be better than, than they were expected to be. So when you sort of look back at it, you're like, why weren't we saying that the Packers were going to be better in this game? Like it seemed, we knew it at the time. We just hadn't put it together and saying, well, this is, a clear win for Green Bay. Um, Chicago right. still has a much further way to go. And actually, there's a lot of elements of this Green Bay team that are good. Now, I think what we get to learn is, you know, week one, you always get weird results everywhere. You get a lot of uh, big results that are sort of heavy wins in one direction or the other or dominant performances by a, a team or a unit or a side of the ball. And you're never sure, was that one side of that being really good or really bad? Or was that the other side? You know, how much was one or how much was the other so you know green bay's offensive line looked amazing yeah how much of that is they're actually that good and how much of that is the bears still have the league's most inept defensive line like Agreed. that's something we need to learn next week and, and beyond and there were a few elements of that i think in this game where green bay won handily in several different areas and it's up in the air at the moment how much of that is an indication that the packers are, are actually a very good team this year and how much of it is the bears are still the bears from a year ago. Yeah. Probably somewhere in the middle, right? If, if we had to guess right now, I think one of the reasons, I think even as a lot of Packer fans had some angst and trepidation going into that game in Chicago, it just felt like the way that Chicago had that newfound confidence, like the, the, the owner, Aaron Rodgers is gone from the team. And it's like right. Matt LaFleur had won eight in a row against them. And it just felt like if not now, if not in the dawning of a new era, when Jordan Love is coming in, making his first start, and you know you've sort of the Bears players, even I think Justin Jones was hyping up this game, and like they were all in on it. Like if this isn't the game at home in Chicago, Week One, where you can find a way to beat the Packers, like it just it felt like it was either now. I mean, obviously not now or never, but like it felt like they had to have this one. So there was, I think, sort of that trepidation going in. But you get into the game, and it felt like there were two different, you know offenses that one that trusted their quarterback to throw downfield a little bit more one that maybe didn't trust quite as much but as the game went on it, it was a clear green bay advantage yeah and and you know the, the the strengths i think were obvious relative to the other team like green bay's offensive line we charged the line with two pressures in the game yeah. right so obviously just jordan love was under more pressure than that but some of that was by his own making the line itself coughed up two pressures Chicago's line, by contrast, was getting wrecked like almost the entire game. Green Bay's pass rush looked amazing, but again, how much of that is the line? How much of that is Green Bay's defense? Either way, Justin Fields 
was under pressure almost all the time relative to Jordan Love, who had a great platform to work from and was able to, to play, have a lot more production because of that. And when you listen to Chicago's coaches talking, you know, they were calling a game knowing that their offensive line couldn't hold up. They were calling short lateral things, you know, things to get the ball out quickly because the line was getting destroyed in a way that wasn't a factor for Green Bay. You know, they didn't yeah. have to modify the play calling based on the fear of how long the offensive line could survive. It was one of the few reasons that I was very, uh, like at least semi-optimistic about this season. The Packers offensive line never really got going last year. Bakhtiari had the injury, came back. Then he had the appendectomy midway through the season. Elton Jenkins, he missed a couple games. Then he was at right tackle, which didn't fit. Then he finally got back to left guard, played better. But it just it never really came to fruition, I think, what we expected last year. I think if they can have a full season of, of Bakhtiari at left tackle and fingers crossed on that, Elton Jenkins at left guard, Zach Tom, we'll talk about him in just a moment at right tackle. We'll see what Runyon and Myers can do, but I think they have an opportunity to be much better up front. And as you know, Sam, if you've got a, um, a winning advantage in the trenches. You have a puncher's chance in just about any given game, but you brought up Justin Fields uh, and, and, you know, sort of his propensity or like just the offensive line's propensity to give up pressure in that game. Um, obviously I know some Packer fans have, have picked up on it already looking at the grades from this week, Justin Fields, a PFF score of 60.9 Jordan love, a PFF score of 60.8. So not a huge difference there, but a 0.1 advantage for Justin Fields. I know Packer fans are going to look at it and say like, man, Aaron, uh, Jordan, I'm going to still say Aaron Rodgers a million times after doing this for <laughs> so long, but Jordan love, uh, you know, he's in the game, 245 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. And Justin Fields obviously did not have that type of success. So I just kind of wanted you to walk through what you guys saw and why fields the very ever so slightly better grade this week. Yeah. I mean, the first point is 0 0.1 of a grading point difference is the same grade, right? Exactly. Like there's no point in trying to parse that down now. Yeah. That being said, that itself is notable. Um, and I think also, so having gone through these plays actually in preparation for this, there's one grade I think that's going to change um, after our our kind of review of it all. So I think Jordan Love's going to get a slight boost. It's only okay. going, he's only losing a minus 0.5 negative on a single play. So I'm not sure how much that's going to bump his grade, but he's going to end up with a higher grade than Fields by the end of that. Now, sure. that being said, there's a bunch of plays in there that that are the reason why, despite that production, Jordan Love's grade isn't as, as good as you, you might think it was. Um, he had quite a lot of misses in there, and some of those misses were bad. I mean, the deep pass to to Luke Musgrave on a, a leak, I mean, that was way underthrown, and you, know, you can argue that the pocket was a little bit muddy, and that's the reason for that, but that ball could have been out earlier. That should have been a touchdown, and it wasn't yeah. because the ball was underthrown. You missed Musgrave pretty badly on a, a corner route um, in the game as well. That was a could have been a big play that wasn't there. But there were two plays in particular that were dangerous misses in terms of accuracy. There was a slant. I forget who it was targeting. Dobbs, but I think. Yeah, but he basically misread the, the inside slot guy who – um, didn't stick with his man. Wasn't man coverage the way I think I assume Jordan Love thought it was. And that slot guy took a step out. And actually, it was only because the pass was inaccurate enough that he he kind of overshot it. And had uh, had Love actually put the ball where he wanted to, that could easily have been an interception. There was another one on a dig route to Dobbs. That's where, the one I was thinking of. Sorry, yeah, my... where he just missed high, and that's you know that happens. All quarterbacks do that. But the way he was missing high was throwing the ball right to the safety, like right to him. And it actually required Dobbs getting a hand on it to stop that being picked off. So 
those are a couple of really dangerous passes that that could have been really problematic. And then the other thing that won't show up in, you know, the passing stats is the fumble. Now he picked it up and he was able to, that was the, the tight end leak play. So he picked it up and he got a positive play out of it. But when you drop the snap, that's a turnover worthy play, right? Yeah. When you drop it, where that bounces is not your in within your control. It's luck, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's going to bounce right back to you. You're able to scoop it up and make a play at the end of it. And when you do that, you'll get credit back. You know, he gets, he gets a little bit of credit back for picking it up. He gets a little bit of credit for the throw, even though it was underthrown. But you get a big downgrade for putting that ball on the ground because if it bounces the other way, it's a turnover and it was nothing you did to, you know, to change that. So those are the kinds of plays that get featured in the downgrades that don't show up in that box score, or the production or the offensive, you know, the even the EPA per play at the end of it. Right. That play in particular, that's a positive play because it's a big passing play to, to Luke Musgrave. But it's an underthrown pass. It should have been a touchdown. And it had a fumble involved in it. So that's going to get, he ends up, and I think he ends up with a net negative grade on that play for us, even though the, the play result was a net positive because the chances are over time, you know, if you drop the snap, uh, however many times you're going to lose a bunch of those and the net EPA of those is going to be negative. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, I'm also curious, and I, I don't disagree with with any of those assessments either. And I thought the one to, to Dobbs where he was early to Dobbs that you were talking about, um, there were the safeties right there. It was a really nice job by Romeo getting his hand out there and making sure that he kind of at least knocked it down to make sure that that I think it was Eddie Jackson on the play it was probably going to go pretty much right to him. So um, definitely, like you said, a potential another turnover worthy play there. Um, I'm wondering if you had like how you viewed the when he stepped up in the pocket um, in the two minute drill, when he got sacked on that play, I thought he actually had, I mean, a, there wasn't much downfield. If I remember correctly, he had the opportunity probably just to get rid of the ball at that point, especially in the two minute drill. I also thought he just had an alley up to his right. If he yeah. wanted to run for it and just take that alley. And instead, I'm not sure what he saw or felt, but he went left and right into a defender instead of, like I said, kind of taking the natural pathway there. Yeah, we we charged him for that sack, and he gets a downgrade on that play because of it. You're right. It was, I think, a pretty clean pocket to begin with. And even yeah. if you say, okay, everybody's covered, there's nowhere to go here, I agree with you. It was opening up. Uh, I forget either the A gap or the B gap on the right-hand side. There was a yeah. gap opening, and he could have gone through there and taken it. Instead, he did kind of circle himself back around and just found a sack that shouldn't have been there. So, yeah, absolutely. Those are the kinds of, again – that's a, you know, a kind of hidden negative, right? It's not going to show up in passing stats, but that's a, that's a negative play for the offense that didn't need to exist. And those are the ones, uh, you know, not always to, to compare it, but those are the ones Aaron Rodgers would always get mad at himself at when his offensive right. line did a great job of protecting. And then he would run into a sack and he'd be like, there were, there were multiple times in post-game press conferences where, you know, the, the box score would say one sack and Rodgers would be ticked off because he knew he was responsible for the sack for it. So um, hopefully I, th I think he'll learn from that. And obviously certainly don't want to take that sack in a two minute situation. And then they compounded the issue by not calling a timeout, letting, I think like 34 seconds or something crazy run off the clock. And then Anders Carlson, the rookie kind of bailed them out outside of like grade aside, box score aside, your overall overarching thoughts from Jordan Love in game one as the full-time starter in week one. Hello friends. As many of you know, a few years back, the Milwaukee Bucks were in the NBA finals and I desperately wanted to go to game six in Milwaukee to see them win the championship. As you can imagine, prices were insane, and I kept going back and forth with different apps to try and find the cheapest tickets possible. I finally found them, clicked purchase, and of course they were gone. 
Goodbye game six of the NBA finals. Now, thankfully, the day of the game, I was able to find a ticket, but the entire thing was so expensive and way too stressful. I really wish I could have simply used game time to alleviate all of the stress and all of the hassle. I've started using game time app for purchasing all of my tickets, and I wish I would have done so sooner. From low prices to easy to find tickets to last minute ticket deals, the game time app is perfect for all of my ticket needs. Game time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You can get images of your seat before you buy. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two clicks only in fact, and tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never need to dig through your email. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. That's code P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. It's finally football season, which means it's also finally daily fantasy football season. And while I get excited to play daily fantasy every year around this time, I'm even more excited this year because I'll be using prize picks for all my daily fantasy selections. Prize picks is really simple to play. You can make picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Even better, they offer ultra quick withdrawals to make all your transactions super fast and easy. Also keep an eye out for weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. My favorite, Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, prize picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Before football season ramps up, I've been using prize picks for my MLB and college football picks as I prep for a season of winning in daily fantasy football. The experience has been amazing and it's increased my daily enjoyment of watching Brewers and Badger games. Now, it's time to get some Jordan Love entries in prior to this weekend's game. The great thing for me is that they offer Apple Pay, which makes depositing money into my account so incredibly easy. So what are you waiting for? Join me on Prize Picks by going to prizepickscom packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepickscom packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, I think overall you still have to be encouraged by what we saw from him. Like he he's clearly got enough to be a quality starting quarterback. Now the question is going to be, you know, over 17 games, how many of those negatives are going to be there? How many turnover-worthy type plays and then what you know what does it look like? But it's it's functional, obviously, right? He's clearly got the tools, he's got the physical ability, he understands how to run the offense. Like all those things are already off the table. We don't need to worry about whether this can work at all, it, it, it works. Yeah. Um, now we just need to see how good he can be and how consistent and all those kinds of things. And that there's really no way of knowing that other than just letting it play out and letting the the reps, the sample size get big enough. But I, I, you know, I was pretty impressed by him. Certainly if you throw him into the bucket of, you know, the rookie quarterbacks, even though he's been in the league for a while, it's essentially a rookie season for him. I think what we saw from him was significantly more impressive than any of the other guys getting like their first start. You know, the yeah. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson. I think even Richardson may have been the closest to him in terms of that ability, and he was still a reasonable gap behind. It's one of the things I think is so fun about this season is all the quarterbacks. You can add Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, so many of right. those guys into this. And it's just like, I, I think Ritter versus Love this week is going to be really fun to see which one of them takes that step. And does Love continue to kind of lead that pack of kind of quote unquote unknown quarterbacks? But you get kind of these really fun matchups week in and week out and see who can kind of rise to the occasion. Um, I'm with you. I, I, I've kind of been saying 
I still have no idea where Love's ceiling ends up, but his floor has been significantly higher than I kind of expected it to be at this point. Um, just based on what he's done in camp preseason and now in week one, as you mentioned, just the the command of the offense, the progressions, the cadence, the getting everyone lined up, just all, all those things that also don't count in a box score, but are extremely important to a quarterback success. Um, he's much more advanced there than I thought he was going to be at this point. And I think that's a really positive sign for him. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I mean, you know, you, he's, he's under a lot of pressure or he has a lot to live up to in terms of that Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers line of succession. Right. And the chances are, he's not going to be a hall of fame quarterback just because most guys aren't, but he's doing a good job of showing that he's not at least the line isn't ending here. Right. We're not immediately going, forget it. They've already screwed it up. They need a new guy. He looks like he can be the next guy in, in line. I did too. And I think, I think the, the thing that people think about too, is it's like, man, he's got to replace hall of famer Aaron Rodgers, And um, Rogers is always right. in the fact of him saying like his worst seasons are most quarterbacks, best seasons, but um, that 245 yard, three touchdowns, zero interception stat line for, for love in this game. Um, Rogers didn't have one of those last year. His last one was in Baltimore in 2021. So it's not like last year was that usual MVP extreme high end Aaron Rodgers that he's trying to replace at least from last year to this year. And if you can have some, you know, handful of games like that here and there, he's at least going to be in a conversation for a similar type box or a long way to go, obviously, but that'll be fun to kind of break down through the remainder of this year. Uh, Sam, you obviously at PFF. Uh, also, I, we each do our own grades every single week, have our own grading system. A lot of times, a lot of times the grades are very, very similar. Sometimes they uh, vary, as you can imagine, from two different systems, two different graders, et cetera. But two things that we absolutely agreed upon this week, top graded offensive player, top graded defensive player, Zach Tom on offense. Quay Walker on defense. We both had him as the, the highest graded player, respectively, on each side of the ball. Um, walk us through the grades for, for Tom and Walker this week. Yeah, I mean, pretty simple for Zach Tom. As we said, the offensive line as a whole gave up two total pressures, so pretty much everybody on the line graded well. The big difference was going to be how the run blocking, um, how each guy did in terms of run blocking. Both tackles, I think, had great games uh, when it came to, to run blocking as well, so he was a guy we liked coming out in the draft. And when he had to step in at left tackle last year for Bakhtiari, he looked great doing that. Maybe there was concerns about whether he'd be able to do it on the other side, but he looks like the same guy at right tackle as well. I think generally he's just looking like an absolute steal for this team and, and a huge boost to get a guy, you know, at that kind of level, what was he the fourth round um, to uh, be able to step in? I was between the two. I couldn't remember which, but to get a guy in any, any of those types of rounds who can come in and be like a high level starter for you is, is huge. And then Quay Walker, I mean, like the interception return kind of speaks for itself. It's one yeah. of the, the plays of the week, not just making the play to catch it in the first place, but that return was wild. I mean, bouncing off a, a Roshan Johnson hit, you know, evading another guy and then getting, decked in the end zone by one of the offensive linemen just after he got in just an amazing play yeah unfortunately he suffered the concussion on the end zone hit and uh he's right. in the concussion pro you know protocol right now but yeah i thought i thought quay had a nice game even outside of the interception and zach tom like at least i it's going to be interesting what happens because i didn't think josh myers played well this game i think you guys had a poor grade on josh as well um and Zach Tom is sort of the, the next guy up at that center position. If they want to move someone there just in camp and in preseason, when they did move Tom there, I thought Tom looked more natural at right tackle and center. Brian Gutekinds has said in the past when he came out, he thought that Zach Tom's long-term position was going to be center. That was his initial evaluation, but man, the way he has looked at right tackle, I, 
I don't know that you necessarily want to move him. The other issue is that you're probably your best two backups on the line, are probably Rashid Walker and Yash Nyman, both tackles. So if something does right. happen, you probably need to kick Zach in, inside there too. But man, he's, he's been so good. And I, mean, I know this is just one week, but even like you said, going back to last year, it's, it's really hard to justify moving him off of that spot the way he's played. Yeah, I would not want to mess with that at all. He, no. I mean, he was a, he played outside in college. He's looked really good on the outside in the NFL. We, he was dinged in terms of draft evaluation because you know, of size and all those kinds of things, and because people were projecting him inside. But he's already shown at this point, I think, clearly that he can be that player. Don't mess with that unless you have to, you know. Totally agree. And I'll be interested to see how that kind of moves on uh, going forward and what they ultimately do with them. Uh, I know you've probably had an opportunity to kind of break down some of uh, Falcons and Panthers tape. I'm about halfway through the offensive side of the ball. haven't got to the defense yet, but um, your kind of overarching takeaways from this Falcons team that Green Bay set to take on this week. Yeah, this was one that kind of backed up everything we've been saying in the offseason. You know, it wasn't a surprise. This was what we expected the Falcons to be. They have assembled this incredible group of matchup problem players on offense. Just everybody you can point to is an issue to try and match up with. Every time I watch B. John Robinson play, I think he's better than I thought he was. And I already <laughs> thought he was, you know, a generational <laughs> best running back Crazy. since Adrian Peterson. Yep. He is so unbelievably good. Um, and honestly, it's a it's a huge break for opposing defenses that at the moment they're like splitting his workload 50-50 with Tyler Algier, who himself is a really Looks good player. Really good. I know. But like all that's doing is meaning you get 25 less plays of Bijan Robinson, which for a defense is like a miracle that you should be praying for. Um, but you know, it's Desmond Ritter looks like he's gonna struggle still. He's not still having the cleanest game in the world. The biggest plays he makes are Somebody else making the play, you know, whether it's Bijan turning a five-yard loss into a touchdown, whether it's Kyle Pitts making one of his spectacular plays downfield. It feels like that's what this offense is going to be for a while. You know, Desmond Ritter just trying to get the ball in the hands of insane playmakers and letting it work. Um, the one thing that was a bit different, though, was Carolina's defensive line got a lot of joy against they that did. offensive line. You know, Chris Lindstrom, now the highest paid guard in the NFL or, or was when he signed his contract. He got absolutely ragdolled by Derek Brown on a, on a few occasions. Um, so that offensive line had bigger issues than in that game anyway than we expected it to going in. And then the defense was much better. Um, they were gifted a couple of interceptions by just bad rookie mistakes by Bryce Young. But they've thrown a lot of resources, a lot of money at that defense from last year's unit, which was pretty abject. And it, it has made a difference already. Yeah, Jesse Bates had a huge game in that uh, in that particular one, and that that play that Bijan made, the little catch, like you mentioned, that was probably going to be a five yard loss for most players, and then just the, the the very first run that he had was just like he just, it was like maybe like an eight yard gain, but just his movement skill on it, it was yeah. just like oh oh my goodness, like it's it always amazes me when you get a player like that. Micah Parsons is another great example where you just have like they're so much quicker and like quick twitched and everyone than. Uh, the other insane athletes that are on the field. And it just doesn't make any sense, but that play that he made to, to juke the one guy and then split two defenders and then score a touchdown off of it. If he, if, yeah, if Ritter can just get the ball in the hands of those playmakers, Pitts, obviously London, like th those guys are insanely talented. Green Bay's tackling is going to have to be better than what it was against Chicago. And yeah, I thought the offensive line had some opportunities. Green Bay's defensive front, Rashawn Gary, the five pressures and 12 snaps yeah. that he had Devonte Wyatt. I think that that, 
is going to be a huge key, you know, key in this game. I thought Bergeron played in the snaps I saw played well in pass protection, um, but that's going to be, you know, they're going to want to get Kenny Clark matched up on a rookie. I'm sure those are fun matchups in this one. I can't wait to watch. Yeah, I think this will be a much better test for how real, you know, Green Bay's oh. defensive front is. The, like Atlanta, we know, are at least capable and competent on offense in a way that Chicago might not be. Um, but you're right, like the Rashawn Gary we saw, um, he's already sort of emerged as one of those superstar players. It's just a case of can he come back 100% healthy? How quickly does that happen? Well, based off, you know, 12 snaps or whatever it was, it's time to ramp that back up and let's see what he can do. Devontae Wyatt becoming the player we thought he would be when they yep. drafted him would be a huge development for this team. Um, he didn't get a lot of playing time in his first season, but even the playing time he did have, like when you put it all together, it's like pretty solid. Probably, yeah, it's like I would have expected more flash plays from him, even in a really small sample size, and they really weren't there. But he dominated in, in that game against Chicago. So that would be a huge turn of events for him. Lucas Van Ness made that one, you know, really nice play, making sure Justin Fields couldn't get outside of him. I don't think many people expected him to make that. No. Um, so, yeah, like Green Bay's defensive front showing up again against a better opposition this week would be a, a big thing for them. Yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot about both of these teams, both 1-0 and heading into this game. Um, obviously, one of them will be 2-0, and barring a, a, a tie at the end, but it should be really fun to see how these two work out after this uh, this upcoming week. And then Green Bay would get its first home game against the Saints right after that. Uh, any other key takeaways, Falcons, Packers, or any other week one things that kind of stood out to you overarching? No, I mean, the, the Packers are an interesting opponent because of that offense, because everybody, it's basically set up, it's like a college offense. It's sort of designed around, we have, four or five guys that are athletic freaks and matchup nightmares and the quarterback isn't great. And the scheme is just going to try and get the ball in their hands and see if that works, you know, and they're going to be run heavy. So it's, it's an interesting test for every team they come up against because it's a very unusual offense that most teams are not running. You know, it's, it's very dissimilar to any other offense in there. So I'd say the Packers offense or the Falcons offense. No, the Falcons offense. Yeah. yeah the, the way they run, I think is a very dissimilar offense to anybody else, which makes it just an interesting test for every team they come up against. You know, it's not necessarily, are you better or worse? It's like, this is unique. This is different from everything else you're coming up against. How do you handle it? Yeah, and some some of the times in the regular season, that's like the last thing you want to see. You just want something familiar, yeah. especially when it's a non-familiar opponent, like the Packers and Falcons obviously don't face each other all that often. Um, so to have an unfamiliar opponent and then to come across something that you have to spend extra time studying and preparing for, that's like one of the worst case scenarios sometimes, especially when it's on the road, coming off a win for a young team. It's going to be a really interesting one, but I, I can't wait to see how it plays out. Sam, you are absolutely amazing. I cannot wait to have more chats with you throughout the course of the season. Uh, tell the good people where they can follow you on social media and uh, what you're working on for PFF. Yeah, PFF underscore Sam on Twitter slash X. Um, and then just the PFF NFL podcast, wherever you get your podcasts or we're on YouTube as well. The uh, season started, so now's the time to jump in. Yeah, it's, it's always amazing. You guys do a tremendous job on the podcast as well as on the website as well. Um, always appreciate chatting with you. We will talk next week and see you, uh, who comes out on top between those two really fun teams in the Packers and Falcons, and we'll talk everything else NFL. Really appreciate it. Go check him out. We'll see you tomorrow. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.